This episode of Full Stack Radio is brought to you by Hired. If you're a developer, designer, or product manager who's looking for a new opportunity, head over to Hired's website and create a profile to start receiving offers from companies who need what you do. If you accept a job through Hired, you'll receive a $2,000 signing bonus, and if you sign up through Hired.com slash Full Stack Radio, they'll double that signing bonus to 4000 bucks. So thanks again to Hired for sponsoring the podcast. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio podcast, where I talk to people in the software industry about everything from user experience to product design to unit testing and system administration. I'm Adam Wathen, as always, and today I'm here with Jeffrey Way of Laracast's fame. How's it going, Jeff? Good. Thanks for having me. You're someone I've wanted to talk to for a long time, so this is pretty cool. So, what's going on, man? Like, what are you? What's keeping you busy these days? <laughs> um, yeah, like working on on Laracast. Man, it, when I when I Laracast is the first like business I've I've run all by myself. It's the very first one where I went out on my own. I quit my job, and uh, it's weird. It's like it's rewarding, and then at the same time, like it is so much work. Like when people say you go out on your own and don't expect it to be easier, uh, they're totally they're totally right. It's it's like there's just so many little. The hardest thing is just knowing that. If anything goes wrong, there's nobody who will take a look at it except you. So you are responsible for everything, at least me at this point, where it's just me. Everything from like a customer support request to to the site completely going down. You know, like anything that could go wrong or any question someone could have, uh, you're the person who has to do it. So yeah, it's tough. Like it's really rewarding and I it's the best decision I've ever made because Laracast is doing really well, which is fun. But um, yeah, it's it's a lot of work. So... Most of my time these days is just spent working on that. Um, it's so cool. The the Laracast forum is like, it's so big at this point. I mean, I swear every day there's like 70 or 80 new threads in there, which is, it's weird. Like that for some reason is cooler to me than some of the other stuff I've done. Just knowing like you can, you can build something and then people just use it every day. There's people who hang out there like a couple hours every day. That is one of the coolest things to me. Yeah, that's pretty awesome because like uh, I used to hang out on like the Laravel IO forums a little bit more, but unfortunately, people don't really seem to be talking about that site as much lately. And it seems like the Laracast forum has kind of picked up as the kind of go-to place to have, have these kind of non-real-time, non-IRC like Laravel discussions, and it's, it seems to be really awesome. So, yeah, maybe like um, I know I know. Um I think his name's Dries. Dries is working on like a version two or version three of the Laravel IO forum. So I'm excited to see how that turns out because the more the merrier. Like um, it's hard. Like I never set out to build a competitor because we're both sort of Laravel forums. It was just one of those things like for Laracast, it needed to have one at the very least just so people could talk about the videos on the site. And so like I had no choice but to to create a forum um, and it's just grown from there. So it's been really fun. I think, uh, you know, you're talking about how running Laracast as a business has totally changed like what you're doing throughout the day versus like having a regular job. What's like kind of the biggest surprise for you, I guess, running Laracast as far as what's taking up your time and what you're spending your time doing? What's been the biggest surprise? Um, yeah, that's a good question. It, it It's a number of things. Like one would be, like I was just saying, it's it's a lot more work than you expect. And it's a lot more like stress. Like when you when you have a, a traditional job where you get a paycheck, you know, once or twice a month, it's like you can rely on that. Uh, but when you leave, it's sort of like, well, you're responsible for that. So like every every single month, it's like I even though Laracast has been in, uh, growing every single month since I launched, it's done better every single month. Um, I still have this fear, like at the first of every month, that it's n- it's going to change at that point, and and people are going to realize I'm a hack, and everything's going to be over, and then suddenly, uh, <laughs> I'm working on my own, and no income's coming in. So those are the sort of things like you think about. Uh, at least I do a hundred times more than when I had like a traditional job. Like I used to work at a, a company called Envato. I worked there for a half decade. It was great. Um, so going out on your, going out on your own is, it's pretty tough. Uh, so what else? Like what, what was the biggest surprise for me? Um, I don't know if there's any massive surprises. Um, I want to give you something good here. What was the biggest, you know, a lot of it is like, I'm a developer. So like, that's kind of what I wanted to do is like, I want to just develop stuff and show people how I did it. I'm really into that. But when you start a business, it's like, well, you're doing that 
but you're also doing this. You're you're running a business, and sometimes like running a business, the the needs you have are totally different than maybe the needs you would have as a developer. It's hard to explain. It's just like little things, and you see it online all all the time. People have these massive. Um, Twitter debates over what's important. Like, um, yeah, I, I saw one recently. You see a lot of them with um, Ian versus maybe some kind of architect astronaut, where they talk about like how much should you focus on code quality and is investing a hundred more hours into, you know, achieving sort of like what DHH was talking on your last uh, podcast is investing all this time to get that that imaginary purity worth it or is it worth it from a business owner's point of view to focus on some of these other things so for me that's really difficult because it's just one person so i kind of have to manage how much time do i want to spend developing this new feature versus how important is it to do a little marketing and and um, speak at conferences and things like that so, yeah, it, it's definitely a lot of work, but incredibly rewarding. I would recommend it to anyone. I would just say, like, make sure make sure you're ready for it. I mean, we see it all the time. People start businesses, and they just they crumble. So if you have, like, a family and children, it's something you need to be very careful about. But, man, if you see, like, if you see something missing or a pocket, man, it, it's incredibly rewarding if you can fill it. You were talking about um, the code quality versus, like, uh, you know how much time you want to willing to invest in something before you can get it out there and like start benefiting from it. I think you're in an interesting position there, right? Because like your product is basically evangelizing good development practices, right? And I don't think your product is evangelizing, you know, air quotes, good development practices in the way that maybe some people would define that. But it's about like helping people like become better developers and do better work, right? Do you find that that affects the way that you write code for like the Laracast site itself because like the Laracast site like forgetting the fact that the product is like the educational material that you're putting out the actual site is a non-trivial application right like it's got a whole custom forum that's built you know even just like little touches like push notifications and there's all these different things that come together to give you like a, a good viewing experience for this educational material and you have to obviously build all that stuff yourself as well right yeah, absolutely. So, all right, here's the interesting thing. Yeah, like, Laracast, I think, is sort of deceptively complex, because kind of when you look at it, it's like, oh, it's just sort of, you know, blog format. But no, actually, like, the form is completely custom. There's a whole back-end CMS for me. There's a whole reporting layer. There's, um, you know, um, subscriptions. There's billing. There's business subscriptions so that people can sign up for their company and then add and remove people however they want. So it's kind of deceptively complex. Obviously, it's, it's not even remotely something like an Amazon. But here's the interesting thing. Like, it's kind of indicative of what your, your typical application is in terms of size. And even with all that the site is doing, uh, I haven't checked in a while, but it's maybe 25,000 lines of code maybe 30,000 lines of code. So that's where it gets tough. Like we're, we're talking about like best practices and maybe some of the videos on Laracast, uh, they don't reflect what some people would call our best practices, but it's like you have to remember the the context of what you're building. What some people would say is a best practice is like, well, maybe if you're building an app that is 500,000 lines of code or if you're building some kind of banking app where your needs are like monumentally different from the needs of, Let's be honest, your typical developer and what most of us are building. Most of us are not building eBay. Most of us are not building, you know, Bank of America's uh, backend or, or some kind of financial institution. Most of us are just building, you know, cool tools that that will help us be more efficient or will help people get things done. So most of these are like 50,000 lines of code, maybe less. Man, some of these, some of the recommendations that people give for an app that small, I think is kind of crazy. And it, it's our own fault. Like we, we fall into this trap of, of um, wanting things to be complex. It's so weird. Like I, I've, I've felt it absolutely myself. And I, I would imagine you and most people have as well. Like this feeling that if it's more complex and you understand it, then you're special because other people don't get it. And it, so much of it boils down to that. I've had these conversations with people where it's like it, they will say um, development needs to be hard and it's it's a lifetime pursuit. And it's like, well, does it? Or, or maybe would it be like terrible if we try to find ways to make things simpler? And whenever somebody does introduce like, hey, this actually makes it a lot easier for you, usually people respond almost like by pushing it back because if you make it simpler, it's not complex. And... 
Yeah. So in terms of an educator, that's very difficult for me is finding like, okay, I want to talk about these things because it is good to learn about design patterns and principles and all of these styles of architecture. But in terms of creating content, it's very difficult to get across to people that like, okay, this is an interesting thing to know, but very likely it won't apply to most of the things you're building, but still know it. That is the hardest thing I have to deal with. Um, yeah, it's very, very difficult. I think even aside from that too, it's not even just about like, it won't apply. It's like, learn this and like, keep it in your back pocket. And like the analogy for me, like when it comes back to, I talked about this before a little bit, but like when I learned to play guitar is it's like getting it under your fingers so that like the motor patterns are kind of there. And it's like something that you can kind of reflect back on and use when it's appropriate not like something to just kind of like throw onto everything that you try and do all the time you know what i mean like oh absolutely i don't know it's and the other thing that i find interesting is so sometimes i feel like when i find out about something um something new some new approach to doing something for some reason it hits me as like wow everyone who's like building great stuff must be doing it this way and i have to catch up do you know what i mean when i say that Like when you find out about something, it's like, oh, I just found out about this. But, you know, if that's good, then that means like, you know, the people at GitHub, they're definitely using this. Like Shopify is definitely using this. All these big companies, they must be using this for to be able to be doing, you know, professional stuff that actually works. And I don't think that's actually true. I think we kind of like can kill our own self-esteem a bit that way sometimes. So like an example is uh, a friend of mine gave a really, really, really great presentation on temporal databases at a local user group meetup a couple of months ago. Have you ever heard of a temporal database? Honestly, no. So so the whole idea is basically like adding another dimension to your database where you're keeping track of not just data uh, that you have, but like kind of that data and how it changed over time. So you can generate all these like really interesting reports about related to like how many, how did this person's like, so say you have like an employees table or something and it has someone's position, right? And historically we would think, oh, well, this person moved from this department to this department. So we update their department field in the database. We don't know that before that there used to be this role. And this temporal database stuff lets you do things that way and kind of keep track of, well, this person was in this role from this time frame to this time frame, blah, blah, blah. And um, when I heard him talking about this, I was like, man, this is like really cool stuff. This opens up all these possibilities. Like, there must be so many people who are using this. And then as the presentation went on, I find out that none of these features are supported in any databases anyone uses, except (laughs) a small subset of it exists in a specific, really, really recent version of some Oracle databases. And it was like, oh, okay. So I guess not everyone is using this stuff. And it's just like another cool thing to know about. And I don't have to feel like bad because I haven't been doing this on every single thing I've ever been doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. When the reality is nobody even knows what it is. I've been doing this for like a decade and I'd never heard of it before. But it's it's hard because it's like we need those people. Like we always talk about like we're always learning. You know, it's like this is uh, an industry where you can't afford to not be picking up new things. So it's like we require people who are always showing you new stuff. But I think it's easy to forget sometimes that a lot of it can be discarded. Like you were talking about um, the guitar analogy. I can relate to that so much because I went to school for college. I'm sorry, for guitar. Uh, I went to a music school and then I had uh, a guitar scholarship in college. So that was like the plan for me as I was going to be a studio musician. And I saw the exact same thing in that world where, well, it's actually kind of interesting. The people who like were in my classes, they would split. So you would have one half where like learning how to play music and learn chords and notes. It was just a a mechanism for them to write music, right? Uh, And then the other group went the completely other direction where they wanted to like dig deep, where where they wanted to learn every single mode created and they wanted to find a way to take this mode and work it into a solo over that. And that's what they were into. And I feel like neither party is, is wrong in this case. It's just you end up in a situation where people have different needs. And I think the exact same thing is true kind of in the development world. You have people where it's like, I just want to build stuff. Like, I want to build things that help people and then go home to my family. And then you have other people, and we, like, not to be disrespectful, but they often get called, like, the architect astronauts, where they want to, they want to like, harness every ounce of theory that they can possibly muster, and um, because that's what maybe fulfills them. So... 
it's 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 very difficult to deal with both sides, especially like I can imagine for like a college student. I heard a story not too long ago where uh, a kid was like high school age, college. He's probably twenty. He was asking advice on a forum or an IRC thread, and they were like telling him to use event sourcing and. And you hear that and it's like, okay, what he's building, I guarantee, does not require event sourcing. So when people recommend that to a high school aged person, I, I just want to say, like, why would you ever do that? Are you trying to overwhelm them? I think sometimes that if people don't even know it, that might be it. It's like, I'm going to recommend this thing to you that's so complex, so complex that most professional developers don't even know what it is. I'm going to recommend that to a 19-year-old. And it just makes me think, like, why would you ever do that? Why would you not always recommend the simplest possible uh, solution to whatever their question might have been? Uh, and people generally don't do that. Here's the complicated answer. And uh, it drives me nuts a little bit. But here's the thing, like, at the same time, I want to learn about that stuff, and you should want to learn about that stuff. So you have to like walk this fine line of wanting to learn everything you can, but knowing that once again, a lot of it can be discarded. I always compare it to like um, like tools. You can have all these tools, but most of the time you just need a screwdriver, right? Most of the time, screwdriver is exactly what you need. But sometimes, every once in a while, you need some kind of other tool. So it's it's very very difficult to teach people that um, a lot of what they learn is irrelevant for whatever they're working on. Yeah, it makes sense. And like what we were talking about before, where like there's some people who just want to build stuff and then, you know, go home. And then there's other people who are just like obsessed with the details sort of thing. I think like there's almost another dimension to that too. And like the people who just want to build stuff, they don't maybe necessarily just want to build stuff and go home, but, but maybe they just want to build stuff. Like maybe that is what they're passionate about. Like, and programming is just, you know, a means of being able to have that creative outlet for the things that they want to build and things that they want to use to make their lives easier or let them do this cool thing with, you know, whatever data that they have. Or maybe they are trying to figure out a, a better way to track their, you know, nutrition or something. And like they can build a tool that helps them do that. And like that's what kind of fuels their motivations for that, whereas some other people are just fascinated by everything that they can make a computer do you know what mm -hmm. i mean that's Absolutely. kind of what i see as like the two differences and it's exactly what you said with like the guitar analogy right there's like the people who just want to write amazing songs and then mm -hmm. there's the people who want to be able to do amazing things on the guitar and both of them are like equally valid pursuits they're just kind of different and just the fact that both those people happen to play guitar is just you know not a coincidence but it's like you can't say that one person's uh priorities or whatever are like less valuable than the others is you're using the same thing to you know chase different passions kind of you know yeah but it but it is interesting like when you do introduce that like which one is better like can't would we can't say like no neither one is better and and maybe or probably that's right but it is interesting when you think like well which one do you want to be? Do you want to be the person who who makes things or do you want to be the person who masters things? And then once you get to that point it's like which one I talked about this on on we're coming back to guitar. I, I talked about this on Twitter like a month ago was I guess this might be a little inflammatory, but this idea in the music world and the guitar world, from my experiences, the guitar players who resonate the most with me are never even remotely the the most skilled, the most technically skilled. It's almost never that uh, way. So I like to consider, like, how does that apply to the development world at all? Because if you were to say something like that in our world, people would just say, um, oh, I don't know, what would the word be for that? They would just say you're, like, I don't know. I, th I think probably, like, the analogy is more like, you're not really thinking about the best developers. You're thinking about, like, the people who, like, create the best software are not necessarily the best developers. There you go. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. So it's very interesting in the music world, because I've just seen it in so many cases. When you think of guitar players, you think of um, people that are famous in their, their own right, people like Steve Vai, versus maybe a different kind of player who's a little more melodic. And it's always interesting to, to figure out, like, okay, this person is superior to this other person technically in every possible way, but they don't have nearly the same amount of success. So I'm very interested in learning, like, why is that? Do they get too much in their own head where they're too focused on 
I don't know. Do they get above? I don't even know how this applies to development anymore. But in terms of music, like, do they get above the the regular person's understanding of music to the point where they can't appreciate it? Uh, I don't know. But I'm very interested in studying that. As someone who's also plays guitar like yourself, did you find that you got like more and more into more technical and challenging music as you learned to play? versus like this like the music that you liked and wanted to listen to changed as you learned how to be able to play that music does that absolutely. make sense absolutely absolutely like jazz is the perfect example like i didn't listen to jazz growing up but then i got into it i got into like swing music and and uh it's like django reinhardt and so you get into this and then suddenly that opens up a whole new world um, but that world isn't open to anyone else except for the people who are very much into it. I don't think this applies to development at all anymore. But um, <laughs> I, I feel like there's something connected there because I see it in the development world, too, where we just split off. You branch off. Well, uh, like, we got to accept a full, stack, a full stack developer plays an instrument and knows JavaScript and knows CSS and knows the back end and is a system administrator. So we just added another layer to the stack now. So it's fine for us to keep yes, going. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's definitely interesting though. But one thing that I worry about with developers is when you say like, oh, I'm just more interested in building things, immediately people attach this idea to you like, oh, you don't care about software. You don't care about architecture. You just care about, you know, nothing. And it's like, well, that's garbage too. Just because you like building things doesn't mean you don't like writing clean code. It just maybe means like your your way of going about it is a little differently. And maybe I gasp, you don't subscribe to some of these rules that people just accept as true. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if there's an analogy there in some ways. Like you look at, so some of like really great, like I'm a metal fan, right? Like I always played metal guitar and that was like my whole childhood. My dad taught me to play. And some of these like really great, like metal and rock guitar players are like extremely technically skilled, but they couldn't tell you what scale they're playing or what mode they're playing. And I think maybe there's an analogy there to just like someone who's just been programming passionately for 25 years, whether or not they've read any of these books or know any of these names of any of these design patterns, have kind of figured out like, well, you know, that's going to be hard to maintain if I write it that way. But it comes from this like practical built in like experience that they gain through like tripping over things when things actually created problems for them and discovering the solutions that actually worked versus the solutions that are kind of prescribed from somewhere else and espoused as being these like you know, superior practices or whatever. Absolutely. And I think most of us have seen that. Like you read these, um, a chapter of a design pattern book and you read it and you think, oh, well, that's all that is. I've been doing that all this time over here. And it's like, I didn't know that had a name, but of course it had a name. If you discovered it naturally and organically, of course, other people have too. And then it becomes a pattern. So, um, so yeah, it's not like developers or here's what we're going around. It's like the, I, the most common example in the PHP community is like the and you talked about this with DHH, like the active record versus doctrine and data mapper. And it's like, if, if you say you like active record and using something like eloquent, then that's good for small projects. And, and that's great for a task app, but for anything of any real value and of any real size, you're kind of a bad developer. I mean, you can see this on Twitter every single day when this comes up. And it's really sad to me. It's like people... I was reading a, a book the other day. Let me see if I can find it. I was reading a book. Um, what I'm currently reading is called Object Thinking. It's very interesting. It kind of talks about how, like, in the object-oriented programming world, we say we do OOP, but really, like, we're not really doing it the way it was intended. So uh, it's very interesting. But um, what was I talking about? What was the example I was going to give you? So what's 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 interesting about that book? Anyways, you're talking about, like, how, you know, we say we do OOP, but not the way that maybe the founding fathers of object-oriented programming intended. What do you mean by that? Like, what, what are the things that you're reading in there that are kind of making you think a bit differently or kind of getting you excited? Uh, honestly, I'm not that far into it. I'm only like 50 pages. I just picked it up. But it, it's just, it is interesting. Like, we, we say we practice OOP, but really it's like, sometimes when you get down to it, it's like we're still kind of doing procedural code. We're just doing it maybe in a more structured way. So this book kind of, maybe it kind of gets the stuff that you don't like. It, it talks more about like thinking in terms of messaging and uh, behavior. I get the feeling you're not a big fan of that. Of the Is messaging stuff? I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan of the messaging stuff, actually. That's like something that's really interesting to me lately is this idea of, I've been talking about it a little bit in regards to like 
around this whole type hinting argument. But um, the idea that uh, instead of like the difference between like message passing and function calling, you know what I mean? So I think of like function calling is like I have one object and it it wants to call a method on another object. It wants to like, it can see through like this transparent sphere that is that object and can see the list of methods and can kind of reach in and grab the one that it wants to call and like invoke that method. Whereas like message passing is more like I'm sending the message to that object, but it's like an opaque, like black sphere. And I don't know how it's going to necessarily uh, solve the problem that I want it to solve. And but I don't really care how it does it, but it will. And to me, yeah. that's like a really powerful idea. And I've been relating that to this idea of type safety because I feel like I don't think that saying um, I need something of this specific type is the same as I need something that can do what I, I need it to do. I feel like that's almost like over-specification in some ways, specifically in PHP where it adds a kind of restrictions that remove some valuable features. Like I talked about an example with uh, Matt and Ryan on the last episode about how I wish that interfaces in PHP, if I implement the double underscore call method, that that should satisfy any interface I say that I implement. And pretty much everyone in the world is probably going to disagree with me. But I feel like that's saying I can respond to any method. So whatever methods are defined in your interface, I can respond to them. Like put the onus on me to respond correctly. Don't tell me that I'm not good enough to do it. And I've used like really like ex exaggeratory examples. Like I was saying like, that's like saying a woman can't be a firefighter because she doesn't look strong enough without letting her <laughs> try and do the physical test. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I, I listened to that episode. It was good. Like you make some good point. And once again, it's like we... I think we require people because like in the PHP community, it's just been accepted. That's what you do. And so a lot of people, I would even say myself, like you just end up doing it because that's how it's done. So it's like we need people saying, wait a minute, like does this, does this make things better? Uh, in, in response to that, like I'm cool with, with everything you said. For me, sometimes it's a little more the benefit to an interface. Well, it would be two things in my mind, just off the top of my head. One of them would be uh, at the very most pragmatic way, it lets me know what I'm working with. So many times you see some kind of variable in an argument and it's like, you, I haven't seen this class in six months. I don't exactly know what that variable is. It's nice if I can just see, oh, that's uh, of this interface. And I can click through that, review the whole contract. I get the documentation and I can continue on. For me, like almost more than anything, that is the biggest benefit. And I think, I think that's the only benefit. That's like my real argument. And I'm not dismissing that benefit at all. I think like um, types and you know, type annotations as documentation is an extremely, extremely valuable and powerful thing that you lose and can hurt you and can slow you down in uh, a code base that doesn't have that stuff that hasn't tried to make up for it in other ways by trying to really be expressive with the variable names or, or whatever, right? But uh, it falls flat on its face to me when people start saying that it's about uh, enforcement or trying to make sure that I have like, the right thing got passed in like you still have to write the code that passes the right thing whether the type hint is there or not you know what i mean so if i type hint an integer and we have scalar type hints and i pass a string well the function that's expecting the integer is going to break and it's, it's going to blow up either it's way it's going to blow up either way so you still have to write the right code anyways so i see the value as documentation but when people throw up the argument of well how else can i know that i have the right thing it's like well I think when you really explore that argument, you'll find that, that you're not really saying anything. <laughs> and I would agree with you completely on that one. Yeah. Well, you'd think like plenty of communities have gotten by without using any kind of interface system for a very long time. So it can be done very easily. Um, so yeah, the documentation aspect for me is, is actually kind of overwhelming because like, how would you do it otherwise? So you have this variable. You don't really know what kind of object it is. How would you do it if you didn't have a type hint? Like, like how, what would be how would your you method? know what it was? So Just to give yourself a little hint of like, oh, this is that class yeah. or this is that uh, type that I need. I what don't know do? if there's like a way to... to just instantly find out, right? Like you kind of have to understand the code you're working with. And I don't think that type annotations are like a replacement for just understanding the code base. Like I still think no matter what, you have to figure out how the code works and how things talk to each other. And I absolutely will not deny that it's faster when you can 
when you have little hints that point you to, well, this is coming from here, this is coming from here, and it'll definitely speed up your understanding of it. So that is where I like, I see the value in it. And like, I gave a presentation at True North PHP last year on, um, you know, writing framework agnostic packages. And I specifically said like one of the most powerful things about PHP when it comes to things like that is that we have explicit interfaces, which are really helpful when I'm building a package and it requires the person consuming it to implement a couple interfaces to connect it to their thing. Well, then you have those, that documentation there. But if you're someone who's doing the same thing in Ruby and you're relying on people to, you know, write their own code to connect it to what you're doing, if you really want people to be able to do that easily, you're going to find another way to communicate that, whether that's through the documentation or whether that's through uh, just, you know, some files in like a sample implementation directory or something like you can put the effort in. It's just not enforced or it's just not included as syntax in the language. It's not, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I guess my question would be like, is it inherently bad? I, 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 almost completely agree with you that like there are other ways to do it and then this should not be treated as like the one and true way but then at the same time i find myself thinking like well does it really matter like i have um oh here's a good example i have a, a little package where you know like sometimes you're not really building like a single page web app you're just building a traditional server-side app but every once in a while you want to pass javascript through or you want to pass some like PHP variable or array or object through to your JavaScript. And that's always like kind of weird. So like I made this little package that you just literally call something like JavaScript put, you give it a PHP array or object, and it'll automatically just make that available within your views. So like, as you can imagine, like the the core of it that will just translate the, the PHP variable to JavaScript is... Um, is standalone, like it doesn't depend on anything. But then when it comes to actually binding that data to a view or to like your footer, well, that might depend upon um, the framework you're using or if you're using something vanilla. So I use an interface for that. I call it view binder, I think. And then I have like a Laravel implementation. The Laravel implementation just listens for when the view is being composed and it throws in the JavaScript there. But if you are using Symfony or something else, all I have to say is, oh, just create your own implementation of this contract and you're good to go. So for me, it's like that is massively beneficial. And then from my own code, when I'm using classes that I did not create, well, I have the assurance of, okay, well, if this works, you know, they're good to go. They created their implementation. We're fine. But I also under, I appreciate what you're saying is like, okay, you can honor the contract, but that doesn't mean it's going to work. That doesn't mean the actual functionality is going to work the same. It just means that you're implementing the same um, contract. And, and that is a problem too. I guess my question to you would be like, why is it necessarily a bad thing that you would want to yeah. avoid so much? So I don't think it's a bad thing. I think my my stance is really like I'm I'm almost trying to be like the DHH of type safety in the PHP world where I'm just trying to be extreme and just trying to like basically communicate that there's another way to do things that's also not bad it's not worse and yeah. I think the the right approach is to kind of use them where they're appropriate where the documentation is more valuable than the flexibility of being able to implement a decorator that uses magic methods to delegate to an underlying object where that documentation is more valuable than that add the use the type hints as documentation you know what i mean but as soon as you hit a point where it's like man i wish i didn't have that type hint there because i could do this really cool thing you should feel no guilt in totally. deleting the type hint and that's basically my main point you know what i mean yeah totally no i i, I completely agree it's weird how you would I think instinctively feel bad about removing that type hint, like you're doing something wrong. Like you, you made a reference in in that last podcast with um, with Matt and was it Ryan? Yeah, yeah. Where you were talking about how when people type hint array that pisses you off. I totally do that, but I would be the first <laughs> to admit, like I don't do it for any reason. It's just sort of like, oh, we expect an array here. Let's type hint that and move on. But I totally agree with you. Like, I didn't, there's why would I be mad if somebody passed a class that implemented um, their arrayable interface or something like that? So it's like we just fall into habits sometimes. So that's why. Like, we need people that are always saying, like, wait a minute, like, let's step on the brakes here. Are you sure that that's the best way? Because for some reason, we have this need to, I don't know if it's because, like, our industry is so difficult that we're just desperately looking for someone to tell us this is the one true way. And then once we feel like we found that way, we just cling to it. It's sort of like, um, 
Oh, that's what I was talking I finally remembered it from this um, <laughs> object thinking book. It talks about the similarities between, God, like 10 minutes later, I remember it. It talks about the, uh, the similarities between how people cling to their development architectures in the one true way versus how it is in religion. And it's like the exact same thing where people, not to get into religion very much, but just on a general surface, people... I don't know. It's like you you find something that fulfills you, and then suddenly that's the one true way, and then you forget, well, there's all these people over here that believe something very different from you, and their views are equally valid. The exact same thing is true within the development world. We're just searching for something to to say is the one true way. When I when it comes down to it, I sort of feel like none of us none of us are really doing it right, and we've all got it wrong. And hopefully in 10 years, we'll have found a better way because right now it's still too difficult. It's just far too difficult. I think you just have to accept that there's not a one true way and just like stop searching for it. And that's what I'm finding with development being like kind of the thing that I'm the most passionate about now. And, you know, throughout my life, I was like, I was obsessed with the guitar since I was like seven years old till I was like 16 years old. That's what I, that's what I lived for. And then I, uh, started recording bands and I was obsessed with music production and trying to figure out, you know, what are the right plugins to use to compress this vocal or this producer used these settings on this and like always trying to find like some secret sauce that's going to like stop me from having to be good. And when you like put it as blankly as that, I don't think anyone would admit to that, but I feel like that's what I do with stuff. And for example, when I was trying to learn about testing, you know, I was, I was always trying to find out like, when am I supposed to do this? When am I supposed to do this? When am I supposed to do this? And it all depends. And, and the only way, every, every decision that you ever make designing anything is a bet based on experience that the way that you're implementing it is going to resonate better with how that application is going to change. You know what I mean? Everything is a bet though. And as you program for more and more years, hopefully you start being correct on those bets more often, but there's never just like, no, this is how you always do it for everything all the time. And that's like really unsatisfying, I think, for someone who's trying their best to learn and get better. And that's what I'm like with every hobby I've ever been into. Like the worst man was weightlifting, right? So I'm a powerlifter on the side of programming. So um, that's what keeps me busy in the evenings. Uh, but uh, I was obsessed with trying to figure out what are the exact percentages and numbers of every weight that I should be lifting every day of the week. And like, I was like basically reverse engineering these like Russian weightlifting textbooks and like trying to find out all this stuff. And it's like, <laughs> at the end of the day, none of it like actually matters. And really you just got to do it for a long time until you get good at it. <laughs> and, and, and that's basically what everything comes down to, right? Like no, no amount of reading or studying for two years at anything will make you better than someone who never read or studied it, but has been doing it for 30 years. Oh God, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, especially you're talking about testing like i felt the exact same way because here here's the sad truth about like the testing evangelist world is nobody agrees and that was like the hardest thing for me when i, I was i was starting to learn about testing i don't know f 5 years ago when it really picked up in the ruby community is when i was doing some more like rails work so i was really getting into it and then i started realizing like you read around and it's like literally no one agrees on anything they don't agree on what you call a unit test they don't agree on if it's okay for this to talk to this and god forbid uh you talk to your database or you're going to hell you know like it's just crazy and then what's interesting when after kind of bringing it back to dhh when he gave that keynote they after that they did this series of like podcasts very much like this where they talked about just testing in general where it was dhh and um dan north and i think is martin fowler and Ken martin Beck. fowler and yeah okay so it wasn't dan north it was martin fowler and ken peck anyways i watched most of those and then when you find them talking you realize they're so much more reasonable right? Like they were, you kind of expected it to be like, you know, boxing match. And then they sit and talk and it's like, actually, it's pretty reasonable. They all seem to understand that there's pros and cons to every single thing. So what you realize is that the people that look up to these people are the loudest of the bunch, yeah. you know, and yeah. they're the ones that are saying, no, this is how you do it. You're doing it that way. That's completely wrong. You're a bad developer. This is the one true way. But when you go to the very top of people who have been through that already, you realize they're pretty reasonable and they understand for a unit test, oh, if, if a unit test can can talk to the database very quickly, then 
fine. Who cares? You know, it's so weird to hear them say that because when I was first learning about unit testing, if you did anything that was outside of that single class, you're going to hell. Yeah, that was right? it. Right. And it's like, okay, well, no, that's not even remotely true. I, I see this like in the Laravel world quite a bit where, where Eloquent is very popular, where it's like people, and you and I have talked about this too, people are trying to test some kind of query that uses Eloquent. So they end up like trying to test the Fluent API using mocks. And it's like the most ridiculous thing in the world where it's like, this should receive find once with this key. Oh, it's, well, like, it's worse it's than so that. It's bad. like, this should receive where, then, or oh. where, then order by. And it's like, yeah. what are you testing? You're actually like not testing anything. You could say this should receive potatoes, then carrots, then French fries. And as long as your test is the same as your implementation, then the test is going to pass. Like, yeah, the thing, absolutely. The, the thing that's helped me the most with testing and the thing that I try and tell people, you know, when they're asking me advice about testing is to just really like figure out what are you trying to get out of your tests and what what are they helping you with? And I kind of landed on like, I think it was three things for me. It was like, my tests help me kind of design my code, not in the sense that some people talk about it where it's like figuring out how things are going to communicate, but more from like almost a usability perspective, figuring out what do I want this API to feel like? It kind of gives me like a, a playground for, you know, typing out like, okay, I want to call this method what parameters does it need to have? What order do I want those parameters to be in? And how do, yeah. and, and that's kind of fun. And then it helps me refactor, right? So I, I want to be able to have tests that let me change the implementation and keep the tests passing. And you lose that instantly as soon as you start doing like a fluent query Demeter chain mock on like your where or where or where. You can't change that, right? Or your test is going to fail. Right. And, and, the, and the other thing is just like, to prove that my code like works, you know? So the thing that I tell people when they're trying to figure out how can I write a test for this is like, well, what would you need to do to prove that it worked? What would you want? What would prove to you that it worked? You know, like forget about like what the actual thing that you're writing is. Forget about what the syntax is. Forget about what the variables are called. You have this method that's going to do this thing. How would you prove that it did what it did? Well, if I had this data before and then I did this, and then I retrieved that data back from the database, it should be different in this way. Well, then just write your test that way, and it'll totally. give you that value. Like, and that's, that's perfectly reasonable. And But what's sad is countless people would tell you, and maybe people listening to this would say, well, no, like you're hitting a database, so you're showing a flaw in your system because the only way you can verify that this works is if you hit that database, and that's showing that there's a flaw in the design of your system. And it's like, okay, so... And usually what they're saying is like, and that's showing you that active record is bad because you're trying to use this here. You're trying to mock queries and that's bad. That's why you should be using this instead. Countless people would say that. And it's like, okay, but any of this, like, is it making it easier for me at the end of the day? And usually the answer is no. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially like when you think about like, okay, would you rather have someone get you know, frustrated and fed up trying to do things in this really right way and then not have tests at all. And that, you know, the so-called right way, I would say is BS anyways. But would you rather have someone get frustrated and give up because they can't figure out how to do it in a way that's going to satisfy these kind of armchair critics? Or would you just rather them do it the way that makes them confident that their code is working and let them kind of get that satisfaction and start to appreciate the idea of testing and be able to improve on it over time? You know what I mean? Like, what's the more valuable exactly. approach? Completely that. Like, I, I talked about this in, in a recent podcast with um, PHP Roundtable, where it's like, okay, there you say there's one true way. Okay, one true way is whatever you say. It's TDD. It's, it's whatever. But the reality is, like, especially in the PHP community, it's like 5 10%. If we're totally honest, it's like 5 or 10% of people who actually write tests. The rest are building WordPress blogs and, and stuff like that, and they don't even think about it. So, like... Nobody is doing it. You've lost the war because this has been going on for 10 years and people still aren't doing it. So, but nobody ever wants to accept like, well, maybe the evangelism approach is wrong. Maybe you're telling people this is the only way you do it. You have to install these 10 tools. And then once you're done, then you do it and you'll be professional. And it's like, that's just, I don't think that's how we learn. I always bring up the, the math example. If you're teaching a kid how to learn math, you don't give them a trigonometry book. 
you show them blocks and you say, when you put these two together, you get two, right? And you have four and you get four. And then you take them up another level and you show them how to do it in their head. And it's a slow leveling up process. But for some reason, like in the testing world, the evangelist will just say, no, this is how you do it. And if you're not doing it, you're just going to do it wrong and you're never going to learn the right way to do it. And once again, the world is going to implode because you screwed up. You know, we like developers just have this way of saying everything is dangerous. I've talked to a number of people about this. Everything is dangerous. Well, you can use um, a self-handling command, but if you do, that's dangerous because you really, the command is the DTO that represents the order, and then you have this other one, and that's the thing that that, uh, executes the order. And only if you do that are you professional. And if you do anything that might just be a little more simpler for your project, you're a bad developer. You know, we, this is the worst thing in our industry right now. And it's good that people are starting to speak up because it went a long time without that. So yeah, I'm glad a lot of people are speaking up. Yeah. And you say like, you know, the example you give like the trigonometry book and the building with blocks is a great analogy, but I don't think it's fair to even think about it as like, okay, well, yeah, well you start by including the test, your database and your tests. And then over time, as you get better, you don't have to do that because that still like creates this stigma against it. You know what I mean? I and I don't think that's actually true. I think like if I've decided to use active record instead of something else, right? If I have acknowledging that like I'm choosing to do this because of the productivity benefits, because it, I'm, I like the code that I'm looking at on the screen better than the alternative, then I've made the decision that to test these things, I have to test it against like an in-memory SQLite database or something, right? If I want my tests to be fast. And I've accepted that trade-off and I'm perfectly happy with it. And I think like that's what matters. I think the important thing is to, under, is to have justification for the decisions that you're making in both ways. So if you want to do something complicated, like you better be able to like, explain to me why that's better than the simple way and i think the classic example for me is like you know uh i'm going to use doctrine over active record or over eloquent right and it's like well well why do you want to use doctrine over eloquent well because i have to decouple my domain from my database i don't want them to be coupled together and why? you ask them and then you ask why again right like well why don't you want your domain to be coupled to your database well because it violates the single responsibility principle and i think as soon as like your argument is the single responsibility principle i think that's not really a fair argument because you've drifted away from like the actual effects on the maintainability of your application and relying on this kind of like back pocket ace in the hole that you can just pull out to say this is the way professional developers do it you know what i mean and i've always found like the idea of the single responsibility principle to be it's obviously like the message behind it is right and important but i think anytime someone tries to like define it it never works like I feel like the definition keeps changing. First, it was like, you know, a class should only do one thing. And then it was a class should only have one reason to change. And then the last like article Uncle Bob wrote was like, well, it's really about people. And it's like, well, what what does it even mean anymore? Like, oh, the actors. (laughs) If I have a user that uh, has a get first name and a get last name method, is that violating the single responsibility principle? Because it gets two (laughs) things. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) you can get really pedantic and stupid about it. So I think it's like hard to use it as like a real argument on its own. I think you need to have like, I need to, you need to be able to say, this is how it is going to cause me problems. And this is how this is going to solve that problem. And as soon as you can say that, all the power to you, go for it. I'm happy that you made that decision. You know what I mean? Totally. Like, yeah, I remember when I was learning about the single responsibility principle years ago, you come into that exact dilemma where it's like, well, it's, it's very obvious when it's like, oh, the responsibility of this is to do this and then this totally different other thing. Yeah, but yeah, what yeah. about when it's like, well, it does this and then this is kind of related to that. And then is it okay if it does this or, or what? So it's like to a newcomer, it's incredibly confusing. But at the same time, it's like the the core, the guideline of it is very good. You know, you don't want your classes just these bloated things where it's doing everything. Uh, you want it where, you know, you can have these classes with their own responsibilities. The, the key is like be reasonable, reasonable about it. And in some situations, you'll decide like, oh, it doesn't matter there. I've had situations where like, gasp, I have like a, a file get contents reference in some kind of class, you know? And it's like, in terms of some people's point of view, that's just complete shit code. You know, why would you have that there? You should be referencing a file system class that you inject through the constructor. And that's what's responsible for that. This class shouldn't care about that. But what so many people I think forget is like, sometimes it doesn't matter. Like, that's the biggest thing for me. It's like, sometimes 
It just doesn't matter. Sometimes it does, and then inject it. But then in other times, think about how often you're going to change this. Is this some kind of like console commands that you won't be updating very much? Who the hell cares, you know? But but people fall into this like, no, purity, that's not the right way to do it. And um, it can be toxic for the community sometimes. I think like a good example of that was like um, that Twitter storm that happened around like the invoice download method, like in uh, Taylor's cashier package. I don't know oh, if you gosh. saw that happen. No, I, I totally like, saw that whole discussion. It's like, who cares? Like, sometimes there's other things that, you know, are important besides, you know, how the code is designed under the hood. Like, is it worth removing the convenience of being able to, like, return the PDF download response from the controller? Like, man, if you're, like, implementing billing stuff and you just want to get it done, you want to get it done quickly so that you can, you know, ship your friggin' app and start helping people and having people benefit from something yeah it's totally fine and i'm falling into my own trap here of saying like oh it's fine if i think the reality is that it's just fine you know what i mean someone decided to do that for a reason they decided to do it because they liked the api that you get as a result right and that's just as important as like what's under the hood that's why laravel is a popular framework that's why rails is a popular framework because it's expressive right and it's nice to use and like that's something that kind of pulls at well designed sometimes and you kind of have to find the balance that works for your situation otherwise you end up with like totally hard to use unpleasant to work with code but it's easy to test you know and the sad thing about all of that like i remember that that's particular instance with taylor very well he got hammered for that and i loved his response when people were like what were you thinking putting that into this class and he was like i don't know it seemed fine you know like his response was like (laughs) perfect in my opinion because that's the reality it was fine you know okay maybe it could have gone somewhere else sure like okay but this was fine. The API was great. It works great. Countless people use Laravel Cashier. They do it fine. Yeah. You know, has like, it caused are... you any pain in maintaining Never. the package? Zero. So, Never. so how is it a problem? Like, that's the other thing, right? Like, I've talked about this with a couple of people too, but like, the whole point of design is to simplify maintainability and make things easier to change, right? And the things that contribute to making something easy to change are not always just how decoupled things are. A lot of it is like, how easily can I understand the code I'm reading? Or is something more likely to be maintained if it's easy to use and gets a lot of adoption? You know, so there's like a lot of factors that contribute to this. So for me, when I'm thinking about like, what's the better design? Well, the best design is the thing that's easiest for me to change. And sometimes the thing that's easiest to change isn't necessarily the most, you know, pure design. And like the example, uh, I've talked about this before, so I want to get into it, but kind of like the email when someone registers for an account example, right? It's simpler. It's simpler and easy to understand if the controller just says user equals register user, um, mail, send welcome email, return response. You know what I mean? Like that's simpler than this fires an event, which is being listened for in this event listener and this other part of the application that's decoupled and that gets fired separately because it's a separate responsibility. Like that is probably the purer design, but is that like, easier to understand than just like looking at the controller action and saying, oh, it registers the user, then it sends them a notification email, then it renders a view. But here's here, I agree with you. But then here's where I would say a lot of people don't get to. It's like, okay, firing an event from your controller for the sole purpose of firing off an email is kind of silly, right? But I think most of us find in reality, you're not just firing off an email when, when a user registers. You're doing like 10 things, especially for these big apps, all these other things you have to do. So people fall into this situation where it's like, well, where do I do this? I have to do this and update the database and update marketing and fire off these emails and send a tweet. Where does that go? And so, yes, sending an email is one thing, and it seems silly to fire an event. But is in your mind, does it make sense to fire an event when you have 10 different things that you have to do in response to that action? I would say totally, right? And I'm not saying that like you're supposed to do it in the controller. I would say that it probably is the better design to do it as a response to an event. But if your only measure is like, what is the easiest for someone who's never seen the code to go in and find out like, when, how can I change how this tweet is being fired off? You know, if your only measure of, you know, maintainability is easier to understand, which is just one of many factors. And it's the one that I'm talking about right now. Well, then the first thing I'm going to do if I'm trying to debug this thing and figure out, well, I got to change how this tweet gets sent. Well, let's see. It hits this URL. Well, that route points to this controller action. If in that controller action, I can see like, you know, sequentially, oh, the tweet gets sent there. 
that's easier to figure out where it's happening and easier totally. to understand. Worse design probably, but you still have to balance like all these different things that contribute to something being maintainable. And that's really all my completely. point is. Okay. Yeah, you're com- and I think you're completely right. It is funny we say like that's a worse design. Like the only thing that matters to design like you said is is if everything is perfectly decoupled and this is this and this is this and then you connect the two. And it's like it's true. Like dealing with events kind of sucks and I feel like we still haven't figured out a good way because sometimes it very much is essential in my mind and Mm -hmm. i it's still too difficult it's like you go to the controller oh it fires an event let me go see what's listening for that event oh that class let's go to that class okay there's where it's responding it's too much right yeah um so i think there there is a struggle though it's like okay i want to keep this as simple as possible but there does get to a point where i need to make this a little more separate for my own peace of mind and so that can be difficult to manage i think think what's helped me with like the events thing because this has actually been something i've been thinking about recently is like struggling with some of this event stuff and sometimes it feels like man it would be better if this was in line but it this one shouldn't be in line. And I think like the heuristic that I'm like, I think I'm honing in on is it like, does it matter really if, if it didn't actually happen, then do it as a response to an event. You know what I mean? So like, if it's like, I want to send out a tweet that says, welcome our newest user, whatever. Does that really matter if that actually, if something went wrong and that didn't happen? No, then probably you can do it as a response to an event, but do you need to send them an email where they need to be able to click a link that brings them back to confirm their account so that they can use the site. Well, that's like part of the registration process. And maybe that shouldn't be like a tangential thing that happens as part of an event that's being listened for. Maybe that should be part of the class that deals with the steps in user registration. Does that yeah, make sense? I think that's, no, I think it's perfectly reasonable. Yeah. I have no problems with that at all. So is your, like, would you... In a perfect world, like, okay, you're sending off the mail. Uh, you use Laravel, right? Yeah. In your typical, are you using the mail facade? Are you using like a mailer class? Is that being put into your controller? I think I, think, I, think I probably wouldn't have it in the controller. I would probably have an object that handles user registration and it would. Like a user mailer type thing. I think it depends like how much mail is happening to yeah. actually create these specific mailers that handle specific things if you're sending like three different mails in your application then it's probably easier to just use like a single mail class that can send off these different types of email but as far as like the registration process i've toyed around with like have you watched like a bunch of like the destroy all software screencasts and stuff oh sure yeah so like gary bernhardt has this like way of naming things a lot of time where he'll call a class like registers users mm-hmm. and um I feel like that's been like a powerful thing to help me extract classes where otherwise I wouldn't because I couldn't figure out a good name. You, you know what I'm saying? I so, know exactly what you're saying. So if I have like a, something that handles like user creation, for example, just say that was like a complicated enough thing and you know, f- forget the DDD thing, forget that I'm not supposed to use the word create or whatever, but just for the sake of example, if I wanted to extract the logic that does that because maybe there was a couple complicated steps. If I'm thinking that I have to call that class user creator, I'm not going to create that class because it feels stupid. For some reason, just like the <laughs> name bothers me, like it sounds silly, right? But if I can create a class called creates users, all of a sudden I feel like, yes, that's a, quite a sophisticated name for that class. I'm comfortable with that name. <laughs> Gosh, I, I totally agree. The um, There's another guy in the Ruby community. I can't think of his name. Darn it. He, um, you're in the Ruby community quite yeah. a bit. You know the guy, like, he's obsessed with cats? Corey Haynes. Corey Haynes. Corey Haynes is where I first learned about naming yeah. a class registers user. And that was sort of, like, mind-blowing to me because we are taught you do not name a class registers users. You know, like, that's <laughs> not what you do. Yeah. The class is a noun. When yeah. I learned OOP, it's a noun. You know, like, you could have a user class and a register method, maybe, but... You would never call it registers user. So when I when I started learning, like that's okay, I agree with you completely. It it kind of opened up so many doors to me. This idea, like OOP, you know, is so rigid, and you have your nouns, and that's it, and then you construct them. That doesn't reflect actual development, even remotely. So yeah, that was a massive eye opener for me. Yeah, I think even Gary Bernhardt said that he got that from Corey Haynes, right? So that's kind of a, a cool trick. It's fun when you learn something like that. That's like so trivial, but it has a really like powerful impact on like the way that you write software. And I mean, I don't do that all the time, but it definitely has helped me in cases where otherwise I wouldn't have 
felt like I had a good name for something that I wanted to extract and made me second guess like, oh, is this really like an object or something? When the reality is like, it would be easier if I could keep all this stuff together in one place. I just need to figure out a name for that thing. And now I have another strategy for naming stuff that just makes it a little easier sometimes. So it's funny how like really stupid things like that can actually be like some of the things that help you the most as far as like getting better at development. You know what I mean? Like that probably has been more beneficial to me than, you know, learning any specific obscure design pattern or something. And it's not something that's ever going to be in a book, but like, just like little things like that can like really make a difference sometimes. So it's kind of interesting. No, absolutely. It's, and there's so many examples of it. Like when you think of, I don't know, you think of even something like Laravel's facades, the amount of like aggression that people threw at Laravel because of that, like People don't talk about it much anymore because it's old hat, but like Laravel still has these facades and people hate them, but they never stop to think like, wait a minute, it made it kind of easier. Like, is that the worst thing in the world that it made it prettier and easier? Like those things don't matter. The only things that matter are these sets of rules. And the simple fact of the matter is, even if behind the scenes it's referencing uh, a public method, well, you're actually calling a static method, so that's bad, and I'm not even going to look at Laravel. Yeah, There's yeah, yeah. so much hate thrown at it. And it's like, can can we show a little respect to the fact that it made it nicer? Like, th- I feel like I'm at a point in my career, like, that is more important than everything. How does it feel? How does it look? Like, if I, if in a perfect world, if I were to open a new file and just write out the API, how would it feel? Just ignoring any design pattern whatsoever, how would it feel? That is more important than anything. Um, But it's weird, like, when you look at developers, it's actually at the bottom of the stack in terms of what most people see as important. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing, I think, with, like, the facades thing, right, is, you know, you can inject the dependencies if you want, but... As soon as you inject the dependencies, yeah, like now they're injected, your code is like a little bit like not as aesthetically pleasing as it maybe it was before. But if you apply that same logic to like every kind of usability decision that was uh, that's kind of been baked into Laravel, all of a sudden now when you look at that version versus the version that used facades and used everything right, I think you almost everyone would agree like oh no let's go stick with the one on the left where we use the facades and everything you know what i mean yeah you won't believe this but this exact thing is in my laricon presentation in august (laughs) i talk about like i i have this example i have all these notes i haven't prepared it yet but i have tons of notes and i swear to god that's one of my exact references it's like yes okay here's an example in the um in laravel's routes file at one point taylor changed the you know you can do like route colon colon yeah, get. Yeah, yeah at one point he changed it to uh, a router variable yeah yeah, so yeah dollar sign router and then it, it was functionally functionally the exact same thing you could even switch it back but then at one point taylor changed it from the variable version of router back to the route facade and people were pissed about this like this is better this was the very you were improving and his response and i completely agree with it was like it's just that much better like it's it no there's zero difference whatsoever, but it's that much like prettier. And I, I had this note in the presentation notes. I had this presentation note of mine where I talk about when you have 500 of those things that are that much better, it makes a massive Huge difference. difference. And Huge nobody difference. like once again, nobody gives any value to that. They just you know they see it on its surface and they attack it. But these things were thought through quite a bit, and there is value to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. So that's interesting. It's it's almost like a MacBook Air or something, right? Like you could say, well, if only I could, uh, you know, replace the RAM. And that has this one subtle effect on the case or something. And now I want to be able to switch the hard drive. And that makes it this much thicker. And then all these like small things that would be nice to have, you end up with like a worse thing at the end of the day. And this And it's nothing to do with like, you know, would the computer tell you it's worse? Like would like, you know, some artificial intelligence system that analyzed it for technical excellence no it's just a taste you'd feel it yeah Yeah. but then here's the thing like i would but i would also agree like with the facades example there is a point when it's like you you probably shouldn't use them deep in your domain i would gladly agree to that yeah um but i think the reality is most people who use laravel you use them in your controllers mostly and there's zero wrong with that i've heard so many complaints like well if you if you use the request facade 
um, in your controller and you don't define it within the constructor, then how the hell would you possibly know what dependencies that controller has? And it's like, okay, but it doesn't affect anything. Yeah, I don't, like I don't that really is care. not even <laughs> remotely what I care about. I'm more concerned about this like this confusing little piece of logic that I need to figure out. Whether I used the request or a view facade within my controller is literally at the bottom of what I think about. Awesome. Well, we've been chatting for quite a while now, so maybe it's a good time uh, to wrap it up. Is there uh, any other things that you want to talk about or any things that you uh, are Gosh, kind of want to mention? Gosh, so fast. I feel like we, we barely just started talking. Um, no, no, nothing, nothing special. Um, is there any, uh, thing new and exciting happening with Laracast or what are you working um, on at the moment? Laracasts.com. Uh, no, it, it's growing at a great rate. I, um, the big thing I've been working on the last month is, is business subscriptions. If I could promote that a little bit, it's just, um, it, it, the site originally launched as like for regular people, like sign up and watch a 10-minute video once in every now and then and, and level up. Now it's like I, I found a lot of people want business subscriptions so they can sign up their whole company. And then eventually, like, they can assign videos for their developers to watch. Like if they're working on something new, they can just say, um, for all the people in my business, I want you to watch this video. So that's sort of the stuff that I'm working on right now. But um, no, it's, it's going great. Um, anyone listening, if you're not familiar with it, do check it out, laracast.com. Come say hi. We're pretty friendly over there. Definitely. It must be a pretty interesting feeling to feel like there's these businesses that are taking educational materials that you're creating and like saying, my employees must watch this if you're working on this project. That must it's be kind insane. of... Uh... <laughs> it, it feels like... like I'm not building myself up here at all. If anything, like it feels, once again, like I'm a total hack. Um, I've had like Disney, like some section of Disney where they signed up and then um, uh, Remax, like the realtor big company, yeah, yeah. they signed up. So it's like weird, like, man, I'm pretty sure these guys are way smarter than me. But but I, I, I think I've learned at this point, like all developers feel sort of like they're hacks. That's why people talk about it so much. We all feel like there's something we don't know that everyone else knows. And I think the reality is it's so difficult and we're all trying to figure it out, and we're all about at the same level. You know something I don't. I know something you don't. So uh, that's why something like Laracast is good, because it, it just gives a platform for everyone to to talk in the forum and and all that good stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Well, definitely check out Laracast. I've been a subscriber of Laracast since day one, and is a, still a subscriber to this day, and check out the videos all the time. And it's an amazing resource, so we're really lucky to have it in the community. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, show notes for this episode are going to be able to be found at fullstackradio.com slash episodes slash 11. Finally passed the uh, big 10 episode mark, so hopefully we can keep it going. Thank you so much, dude, for giving me your time and coming on here. This was really fun. I'm glad that we got the chance to have this conversation. No problem. No, you're killing it on this podcast. I listened to every single episode. So <laughs> That's awesome. You're doing a great job. Awesome. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. So, Thank you. Uh, Anyone, if you got feedback, if you want to discuss the episode, uh, there's comments on the Full Stack Radio website. If you want to reach out on Twitter with suggestions for guests or topics, definitely let me know and rate and review us on iTunes and let us know how we're doing. Thanks, guys. Catch you next time.